You're listening to Fun Shack. I'm Ross Butler, and today I'm speaking with Miria Lemler-Brown, a Managing Director with Hayfin Capital Management. Miria started out in investment banking with Goldman Sachs and then worked in asset management with Scottish Widows and Aberdeen. She joined Hayfin to establish and build its private equity solutions business. We talk about setting up and growing an investment function from the ground up, manager selection, direct secondaries, and investment opportunities across Europe. Miria, welcome to Fundshack. You joined Hayfin in 2018, uh, I think that's correct. Tell me, how did you get involved with it? It uh, started quite a long time ago. Tim Flynn, our CEO and founder, worked at Goldman Sachs. Who we've had on Funchak. Yes, um, <laughs> and we worked together at Leverage Finance. In fact, we're sitting next to each other. And I left um, Goldman Sachs to move uh, up to Scotland. My husband is Scottish, but we stayed in touch over the years. And so I heard the story evolved uh, from him leaving and then coming up with the idea to set up Hayfin. And, you know, we exchanged ideas and views and, and, and shared learnings. Up in Scotland, I started to uh, invest in uh, private equity with Scottish widows initially. And that experience from an LP perspective was also interesting, you know, to Tim when we started out. So when he set up, he uh, had discussions with a few different private equity funds and he asked my views on, on who they were and what potentially could be a good partner for him early doors. So, you know, that then turned into uh, him growing uh, or him and his team growing the business. And in 2017, that institutional investor changed in uh, to British Columbia Investment Management Corporation. And he had grown the business from direct lending and, and other different products within the credit space and never ever kind of, I guess, before considered the equity um, opportunity. And that's where I then spent over 10 years up in Scotland. And um, so he asked me if I would want to, what would I do if I would set up a private equity mid-market business for uh, British Columbia? How would that look? Um, and would I be willing to, to, to do that uh, on, on his platform? So I did that and, and uh, come up hopefully with a compelling strategy because British Columbia certainly thought it was a good idea. And that's why I moved over in 2018. Um, to start from scratch with with no team, no processes, but a fabulous platform and brand in form of Hayfin. So that sounds like a, a great opportunity, but um, quite an unusual one because you had a very large institutional background. And you, so you sat next to Tim uh, and you were doing, presumably you were doing credit at the time, is that correct? Yes, at Goldman Sachs, but yeah. from Scottish Widows. Yeah. So when I started, there was only private equity, only Europe, predominantly mid-market and across the spectrum from funds investing, from co-investing and also secondary investing, which is three of the larger group uh, of investing that you can do in the private equity market as an LP investor. So why did this kind of more entrepreneurial opportunity of setting something up from scratch appeal to you? Very good question. I come from the middle of nowhere uh, in Sweden and I'm actually the first person in my family to go to university. So arrogance and politics is something that I can say I'm allergic to. And in large institutions, I think when you start out working, you're so focusing on delivering a good job that you don't notice political aspects. I think as you grow older, more experienced, wiser, 
you start to figure out that it's not just about uh, delivering. It's not just about the excellent. There's lots of other things going on as well. And at that point, after 10 years in a consolidating Scottish asset management market, it's been a number of combinations that we had gone through, much larger group. And uh, the firm had become very political. And that, again, is something that's really frustrating. And I also, just in itself, for me, I'm driven by delivering really good investment returns based on facts. And in that, the energy really needs to go to originate, discuss ideas, pick the best investing. If you need to worry about politics, how you need to behave or, or not challenge or challenge, there's so much energy leakage out of a, out of a team or an organization. So that frustrated me and triggered to think, well, if I start from scratch and I can set the culture, I can handpick a team I can obviously ensure that we have none of that, that we can just be a group of individuals with different backgrounds that burn from the same, you know, same, you know, purpose in delivering those returns, very often for pensioners, but in a way that then avoid, uh, you know, avoid negative uh, aspects such as politics. And so you're only, what, three years in, let's say? I mean, how's it, how's it going from a cultural perspective? Have you been able to uh, introduce that kind of different culture? Yes, it's it's um, it's going uh, really really well. I mean, you know, back into the entrepreneurial aspect, it can be scary too when you haven't done that before, and you can question yourself whether whether you're able to. I mean, from from sheer experience point of view, you build so many networks, you build so much pattern recognition that that clearly you can take with you. But, but you know, will people come and join you uh, as an individual um, is, is scary. But I think the fact that we talk we're so passionately about the fact that it's team based and that everybody is, uh, you know, equal, if you will. And we start we start with the junior people sharing their ideas first up into the senior. And there is lots of frustration now. The private equity industry has grown up and many of these organizations has become quite large. That means a lot of mid-level and junior uh, uh, staff, if you will, or people are frustrated with the same thing I was frustrated with. And if you see the people we were looking for were clearly high ability, ambitious people, but then driven by the same values and principles of team, of responsibility, of doing the right thing, of working hard, clearly, but fact-based. And then also this continuous improvement mindset where also the senior people want to invest in the junior. I mean, it's a learning by doing type of job. You don't read some books to become a good investor. But genuinely, if you have, as a mid-level and junior you know, person genuinely feel that, that the senior persons are there for you side by side, they roll their sleeves up and want to transfer that knowledge to you. It's a wonderful proposition. And, and hence, it took a little while because it was not known, you know, from a brand perspective on the equity side. But Windows discussions, clearly, we did lots of people that didn't fit in, um, but there were a lot of people, they were intrigued and were really looking for the same things. So now we're a team of, of eight people and again, operating very much under those type of ideas and principles. 
you know, living, breathing that culture. And hence, you know, that's the most satisfying. I mean, we are, you know, the, the strategy is working and the performance coming through strongly now after three years, which again is interlinked. It helps the culture, it helps the feeling of, of wanting to come to work, you know, the belonging of being there when it all works. But I think it's driven very much by by the cultural elements of it. Yeah, success defi- definitely helps. Did, did I hear you say that uh, junior people speak first? Is that yes, around our, so our investment process is such, um, you know, institutional three steps, that's no different. But when we, um, you know, start in the team, so the first le- level, the one pager, um, we everybody is expected to read up to a certain degree. And we start with the most junior person that need to share their views first. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone that comes in, many have banking background when they come in, more of the mid-level um, people when they joined came from private equity, but none had really had that experience before. So when they joined the team meeting and were discussing ideas, they were not prepared, she would say, first time round, the fact that they needed to express their views first. Second time round, they were very prepared. And why we're doing this is it's the same thing as many things. You can't tell to children to avoid mistakes. They need to do it themselves in order to properly learn. And investing, there's so many different aspects in the pattern recognition, you know, what you need to think about. And we obviously have strong protocols and processes to help along the way, but it's really your judgment, your thinking. If you listen to other people, you don't really learn what is important. If you need to read about a company in a situation and you come up with your views, A, you need to have thought it through. It's Mm. your views. Mm. Um, And very often, initially, they are not filtered or, or the weightings are not you know, where it should be, but Mm. it doesn't matter because for us, it doesn't matter. It's the only way to learn. So we look at a lot of things. Uh, We originate a lot of things. It's it's part of our model, but we do, we're very, very disciplined. So we do very little, but the more we look at, the more we discuss, the more we learn and the more they learn in, in, um, again, changing, adjusting the way of thinking to become more balanced in their view and also go away from, is this just a good company? And just com- a good company doesn't necessarily become a good investment if you pay too much. Um, so it's just learning around companies is certainly important, management teams and pricing and structure and part of value creation. And, and with that, um, quite quickly, you can see the evolution in their thinking, their alignment with the filter and how we assess whether uh, a situation is a good investment or not. And that's also great to see. Tim said to me about um, diversity, but from a very broad perspective, um, which is making sure that you're not hiring in your own mold and making sure that you know everyone, not just from the gender or racial perspective, but also in terms of uh, the way people think and their economic backgrounds and all of that. Um, but it can be, in practical terms, it can just be very easy to, to, to instruct a recruitment agency to say, we want people from Harvard and uh, Oxford and, you know, and suddenly you're already going down that route. To, to what degree do you feel you've achieved some level of, let's call it intellectual diversity around the table so far? Yeah, and, and there are so many layers to it. And we are eight people, but we are all different nationalities. And, and many of us have, uh, you know, even two, I'm half Swedish, half German. And that's only part, but, but, you know, it's the language, but it's also the culture, the way you have been brought up, which then 
the principles and values because whilst you want uh, diversity in thinking for sure, diversity in 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 uh, in pattern recognition, you want different type of pattern de- recognition, but you still want the same values. You need to find a group um, that that those principle on why we are here need to be the same, even if we are value add from the pattern recognition in analyzing deals. Now, in terms of your actual business, maybe could you set out for us, you know, your your mandates, what what you are investing in, and where your, your sources of funds. Yes, so we are um, uh, continue to be backed by our Canadian backers, the British Columbia Investment Management Corporation. And the strategy is the European mid-market. One of the things when I analyzed, uh, you know, setting up in 2018, because it was different when, when Hafen was founded. They were very early into a new growing market, the, you know, the market of direct lending. Private equity is quite mature. So one of the things that we did, I feel that, that in my view, the private equity industry have created silos. Very often there's a separate uh, products for primary funds or a second, you know, a separate silo bucket for co-investment or a second, you know, a secondaries have a, have a different bucket. And I felt that for us doing mid-market, we don't want no restraints. We want to be able to originate across the board and just focus on picking the right, the, the best opportunity. So across it's a Europe. flexible uh, across your mid-market. Um, the larger funds, larger companies, to degree, you can say, I guess it's less risk. So it's a different style of investing and different returns. Mid-market ought to generate um, a premium return in comparison to the larger market. But if you look into, dig into track record, people have all you know failed in doing that and it's been too much volatility. So when we set up what we want to do, if we have one bucket, allows us to... Uh, you know, one year, maybe there are more opportunities in, in uh, Co-Invest or as of late, this GP-led uh, secondary or single secondary, which we do, and we've done several of them. But it'll go, you know, one year or another year is slightly different. If you only could do one type of investing, it's very hard. And also very often the solutions we do, the fact that the same team can do a combination of investing that otherwise might fall in between the buckets is very powerful. So in larger competitors, would there be a separate team for co-investing where all your guys do everything? So you all get the guys right. do everything to avoid things falling off the cracks right. and allow for, for more opportunities and more discipline in what we do. And that's been really helpful. Uh, and it's already evolving. Uh, we are now on our second program and it's gone from slightly more funds when you start out to also generate some of the co-invest opportunities to now coming out of the COVID where um, this GP-led market on the concentrated end, which has been around for a long time, but it's really exploding and that suits our skill set because we have built a team of stock pickers um, very well and we don't, Again, because we haven't got a bucket, we don't mind. It's an asset opportunity. We don't mind if you call it a secondary or, or a co-invest in what we do. And, and, and also we find that the relationship uh, from the primary side, because the core thing with the GP-led is also understanding why 
Why do they want to do this? And it's the right thing for them and the asset, which if you have followed funds for 10 plus years and they know the individuals in these funds, you will have a much stronger view on whether it's the right thing to do, uh, not just numerically, but because we focus on both. So again, that, that experience from primary funds investing is very helpful across the board, but particularly, I would have said, in the GP-led single secondary uh, situation. When you're setting up a new business like this, um, uh, I guess the challenge is that you don't have any existing relationships because the, the best managers will have longstanding uh, relationships although you were in the market yourself before. So. Yes, yeah, so same thing, the principle of, of Hayfin, working with very experienced people. So I've hired, you know, we hired Gonzalo Ares, who co-lead this, uh, the private equity solutions team with me, are very experienced from different, some overlapping, but predominantly uh, different parts of Europe and, and, and different type of relationships. So we bring that, I mean, a relationship that you have as an individual is uh, personal. It's right. partly linked to the brand, uh, you know, it's got this readers where you stand for. But moreover, when you've gone for, for you know, over 10 years and, and quarterly knocked on the door on people to have a coffee, the Swedish way to have a <laughs> coffee, that's how you build trust that you take with you. Because right. in the end, now in particular, there's so much capital. Mm. The capital in its say doesn't matter. People want to choose individual relationship that they feel they can work well. It needs to be a high quality type of capital. The quality of capital matter, but it's excess. And then you go down to more personal element. Is this an individual I feel I can trust? Is this in some, we can have dialogue, somebody that is constructive and, and helpful to us. And that's in the end, to me, why people choose um, to work with somebody in a fundraise or in a, you know, in a convest opportunity or in this GP-led. They're really attractive opportunities. GPs have a choice. And the choice very often in who they select is just part capital and a lot about who you are and what you stand for and what type of relationship that you've built. Yeah, it's a people business because you know, you're committing, you're not just investing. Um, and I do think the nice thing, the additional benefit from setting up the entrepreneurial side, which originally I didn't think of, so originally were more the strategy being differentiated, the culture being different, and also the, the discipline and I guess the credit focus from Hafen to avoid the volatility in the mid-market. But the additional benefit is we are now entrepreneurs. The whole team we call is the founder team. Every single one of my team, we are together. We are the founders. It's our track record together. And we built this from scratch. That also, when we sit down, very often the mid-market, they're also founders of their funds. So we can discuss the challenges of hiring people, motivating people, mm. motivating the younger generation, which certainly is different mm. um, to kind of the older generation. Systems, how that work, or I see, but it becomes a different type. It's, it's equal partner to partner, and we've gone through the trenches in a similar way, which also add to that, you know, the strength of that relationship. Can I ask what, what proportion are you roughly um, in terms of um, 
direct fund commitments <clears throat> versus the more tactical uh, approaches, co-investment and secondaries and so on. And, and where where would you like to be? So, you know, core initially is the flexibility and the first program. So the first investment program was more 55% funds and, you know, 45% asset opportunity because we don't really split whether it's co-invest or, or a, a GP-led opportunity. Out of COVID came an additional need for asset capital. It was too much um, co-invest uh, capital, but not always co-invest capital in the for- in a pro- pro- professional form. And, you know, out of it came people want to work with uh, a professional partner, a partner from the co-invest, not just in the syndication, a partner that, that can be fast and have their own view their own view of the asset, they underwrite the asset themselves. They, uh, you know, through COVID, there were issues in co-invest and some uh, LP co-investors were worried about the performance at, and that created some friction in the relationship GP-LP, GP and LP. So that, you know, the evolution of that was that the GP was happier to work with somebody who did their own work. So, you know, if, if, if we pick wrong, it's not the GP's fault, it's our team's fault that this and peak. We would never blame a GP for offering us an opportunity. Mm. It's our own process and we would, you know, I don't like blaming Will Run, mm. we all make mistakes, but we would blame ourselves. Mm. So that, um, I think, has been very uh, positive. So we've actually seen way more co-invest opportunities than I thought beyond the fund investments that we do. And then, as I indicated, this GP-led market is, is fully exploding. So the new program that we've started, or the second program we started this year... Can I just year, ask you a question about um, can I co-invest first, and then you, you can tell me about GP. So secondary. I was just going to say, so the oh, proportion sorry. is 70%. So now 70% asset opportunities and 30% funds. I'm sorry, you were still answering my question. I was trying to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different skill set, isn't it? Um, assessing a single asset opportunity yes. versus, and so you've got a team of eight, and they're already looking at fund investment, co investments, and these tactics, and but they're also looking at uh, company specific opportunities. I- yeah, so the co invest, that's why in the secondary market, there's been a lot of these LP stakes. So when an LP sells sell to another LP, we don't focus on that. That's very different. It's broad, diversified portfolios, it's more cash flow pricing. So that's not, it's, it's a it's a very good market to beat, but it's not what we do. But what we have married, every single one that we have hired, our focus on developing skills in picking an asset, which is also aligned with Hayfin. It's just from a credit perspective versus the equity perspective. Um, in addition, my view has always been that if you are a good fund investor, that will help you as well to understand because when we select an asset it's not just to to kind of do the numbers on whether that's a good investment we very often need to understand why is that gp the best owner of that assets why would they be the good part of helping the value creation in that business and that are more aspects that you focus on from a fund investment perspective. So it's certainly, you know, it, it's certainly super value add, even if the core skill to a degree 
is the, the, the fact to peel the onion on the invest on an asset investment opportunity. That's why if you now go and look at very often the large secondary funds, they have predominantly priced cash flows because the market on the LP stake side was so much big, bigger. They need to carefully think if they now um, recycle their individuals to look at these more focused uh, opportunities on the secondary side. One, very often risk return spectrum, very different from this portfolio diversified cash flows. And as you rightly said, the skill set needed to do that is also very different. So kind of from a philosophical perspective, you, your, your team feels almost more aligned with the GP mentality than perhaps the traditional institutional LP mentality, would that be a fair? Comment? I think that's a very good observation because we work very much like a GP. We source a lot of situations and we are very disciplined around the picking uh, and think much more like and act in that sense, much more like a GP. What is it that attracts you? What, what do you look out for? That's a very interesting question and actually linked uh, the mid-market and pitfalls of the mid-market. Uh, because if you look at the larger funds, CVC or Advent, it doesn't tend to be people dominated anymore. They have very strong processes. They have sector teams. They've got lots of operators around it. Still need to be mindful about culture and, and how they drive organizations, but it's a different type of diligence. In the mid-market, it's much more uh, person and culture dependent. When I started in 2006, the, um, the way people did fund investing back then was much more numerical. You went through a track record and then, you know, from that track record, you, you know, thought, okay, you looked at the processes in the track record and I thought, oh, these must be good people in the future as well. And then I said, but how can that be? Because that investment will never come back. So the motivation of and, and the process of choosing it and the skill set in the people aligned, those are the more important elements to review in order to access future performance. So in my own learning coming from the sell side, it took some while, but I really felt that a lot of people went about it the wrong way just focusing on numbers. So from that came a completely different type of filter, a 100-point scoring system that, you know, in addition to strategy and, and, and um, processes and track record, very much focused on the culture. Leadership. What are the motivators? Why are these people doing this? Organization. And, you know, the, the remuneration linked to organizations, decision-making, functional team, dysfunctional teams. And those elements are much harder to assess mm. and to figure out. And you need to look for them and you need to build that pattern recognition to see what works, what doesn't work. We are very focused on team-based, um, very team-oriented, team-based uh, decision-making at teams where also remuneration tend to be diversified, if you will, rather than very strong founder-led uh, businesses, because we think it is uh, reducing risk as one element, 
And and the fact <clears throat> back to what we said that you haven't got a dominating individual that shut challenge out. It could temporarily look good, but again, that's risk from our point of view. And very often, when we go in meetings, the the questioning, the questioning is very much. So why are you here? What motivates you? Over and over again with every person in the team to get the sense for what they're saying, what they're not saying, and 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 the general. Yeah, to try and to assess that culture mm. again, because mm. that we have found is a core KPI in assessing future performance. You need to have local reference points, not their reference points. Very often I say, that's why it's so fundamental to us to be local. Well, I'll figure out, I'll go to school with you. I'll, you know, we'll, in that referencing is, there is a joint connection. We'll have work together, we will have gone to the same school. I'll know someone that knows someone that will know your neighbor in order to, that picture that you tend to portray of you and your team, whether we feel mm. that that's transparent and true. So we do with first time funds, which we do, we tend to do 50 reference calls, most of them off a list. And that you can only do if you have long-standing relationships on the ground that trust and will tell you because they know that your integrity is integral to who you are. They will tell you how it is. And that is impossible to recreate if you're far away and impossible to recreate in the mid-market because the, the regions are so different. Yes. So the portfolio is doing doing well? Is it Really well, what we- yes. And I think the third thing we didn't discuss, starting in 2018, setting it up, I thought we would have had a recession since 2016. Mm. So I was a bit afraid of 2018 as a starting point in setting up a new program. And so the third part of, of, uh, you know, how we were doing it was to focus on really resilient resilient sector and resilient business model. And that was... Predominantly the timing, the 2018, and that belief in within the investment period, there will be a correction. And from that, and linked into, in Europe, you haven't got as many sector funds as in comparison to the US. But we believe in sector funds in that, again, it's the patent recognition. If you spend way more time in one sector, you can reuse your learnings much faster. And with that, the portfolio we then put into the ground in the first program is 70% healthcare and technology combined. Mm. And the rest is resilient service model. So clearly, we had no idea about the health crisis, but we're preparing for a correction. So with that sector waiting, not only is our performance the operational performance of the business is doing exceptionally well. However, from being a high-priced environment, the investment that we've done has re-rated because now everybody wants to do healthcare and technology and resilient, sustainable business models. So we have been fortunate not only to have an operationally well-performing uh, portfolio, but something that, that has also been re-rated from a valuation perspective. Yeah, fantastic. And, and a bit of luck yeah. is not bad. You yes. need. <laughs> what are the circumstances that you think are legitimate and would attract you to a GP-led and what would turn you off? 
So it's, it's evolved. Initially, the, um, the, the GP-leds were for assets maybe. They hadn't gone that well and maybe needed a little bit. They still, so the GP believed in that asset and the value creation of it, but it had taken longer. So that was a position of, I mean, necessarily not a weakness, but it wasn't a strength. And that has evolved. What people now are focusing are really trophy assets, assets that are significant winners. And with the pricing environment and additional competition uh, that are now out there, it's really hard to find really good businesses. So if you have built a great relationship or maybe even changed and put in place a phenomenal management team in a very resilient business, but the underlying structure of a private equity fund is such that after a period of time, you need to liquidate it. You can argue, so why would I sell this to a larger fund for them to create more value when I got hold of this company, helped build this to better business, mm. and my LPs can continue to be the beneficiaries of these good returns. Mm. So we think creativity is positive, is giving GPs more optionality in a market where it's hard to find those assets. It's not like every asset in a fund is of that exceptional quality that we are looking for so that you de-risk it um, from buying into the next three to five years, you know, making a new plan and, and, and a feeling that it's a good thing to keep that business. I guess it's linked to, if you look at the public markets, um, I don't know the exact statistics, but a significant percentage of the increased market value or the value creation is actually linked to very small group of companies. So again, the significant winners tends to be the one that continue to drive premium value creation. And those are the ones people tend to want to hold, get, hold on to. And with that, it needs to be a high quality process, clearly, because there can be conflicts in that mm. decision, but it also needs to be alignment. So you can't just do it because you want to increase AUM. You need to also align yourself also with your own, the GP capital, and, and behave as a buyer and a seller in that situation. And do you normally um, have to partner with other providers or do you do the GP secondary on a, on a solitary basis? So depending on size, um, we tend to invest 20 to 50 million in an investment, either be it a fund or a situation. So we have had a number of situations from these discussions going out, speaking to the GP community, where we have been in a bilateral discussion to two LPs, if you will, into a situation, because we don't want to be a majority. We are minority investors, if you will, and LP minority investors, to then the larger situations where it's more uh, a larger group, you know, from five to 10 uh, different investors into that uh, asset. Yeah. And you said you're seeing quite a few of these opportunities out there, probably because, you know, things are becoming so polarized. Yes, it's... it's yeah. um, it continue to grow. We say, you know, let, let's see. Right now, it's, a it's the fastest growing 
heart of the secondary market, no question. And there are a number of opportunities. So I think this will go on certainly for the next two to three years. But there's always something else that happened. It could be one or two of them that maybe don't perform that well. Mm. But you can also see a lot of people are hiring. A lot of different companies are hiring to address the the growth in this market. So whilst it's certainly going to grow for the next few years, I do believe some people are are certainly banking on it growing for, for a long period of time ahead. But we don't need it because we have other opportunities yes. to to invest in as well. And in terms of how your team, um, your business, as it were, sits within Hayfin, um, sits within the culture, but also the 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 strategy and any kind of cross fertilization of of ideas and opportunities. How does that work? You know, initially, again, more experienced people, more patent recognition, and in different fields. Uh, that can be value add. So just the fact that that we know uh, GPs um, were also from the credit side, they might you know lend into businesses is intelligence. People intelligence networks is always helpful. Different angles based on different experiences, and that's been very easy. Um, it's very easy because it's easy to to. I mean, you need to be careful about some of the walls, so it's, you don't share detailed information. But quality of people, or whether they got experience or not in 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 that type of uh, field, is something from the PE side that can be helpful. We came with much more of ESG processes. Um, because it started earlier on the equity side in Europe than on the credit side. So we work very closely together. You know, the PE team has been able to do ESG profiles of when, you know, when the credit side work with PE houses, we are involved from an ESG perspective, from a profiling point of view, rather than they do the deal clearly kind of ESG analysis themselves. Um, so it's very beneficial. What we've now started to do, and that's even more exciting, uh, is we can make uh, investments together. Back into what we've said, instead of staying in silos, we have now two uh, recent deals where we work together with the special uh, opportunities side in creating a capital solutions for a GP into an investment where there's a pick element and an equity element. And there are not that many of our competitors that actually can stitch together a tailored solution across mm. credit and equity for a situation, which uh, you know we are about to do our, our second now, and I, I just expect that to continue. So that so, then start to, you know, even deeper working together uh, across mm. the teams and in the practice based on this team-based, uh, you, you know, culture in that we are, we are super happy mm. if we can work together and create solutions. So it's a, a co an equity co-invest with a credit element attached yes. to it or from the same provider. And um, how does your decision-making process in terms of governance work and how does it uh, align with the rest of Haven? So we have our own investment committee. So, you know, the private equity investment committee contains of, of senior members of our team and senior members of of, uh, of Haven. And other, uh, you know, the, the special opportunities have a different uh, investment committee. 
clearly, uh, you know, the learnings from there's there's some joint members and the learnings from one will, you know, apply uh, to the other, but it's also the focus. Again, the credit focus is is different. The type of analysis is somewhat different, different from depending what angle sure. you, you you come from. Yeah, and and something was super beneficial was coming into this COVID, working together was actually uh, we have a tremendous high yield and syndicated loans team which are operating in the liquid markets. And with that, a higher degree of macro focus uh, that goes into their analysis. So coming into COVID, nobody, we've experienced the financial crisis, but not this uh, health crisis. Members, senior members from the whole firm working together, trying to figure out what is this? Uh, is it temporarily? Or, or is it something that where we're going to go into, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to die for a long time mm-hmm. and it's going to be in a very different type of, of situation. The high, uh, so Gina Germano uh, and, and her team had uh, lots of, of uh, phenomenal analysis that was very helpful in creating scenarios, right? Where do we think we're going? Scenario uh, setting that was, you know, helpful for all of us. And as a, as a group, as, as a house, we then come up with a scenario that we used as a base case. And, and, you know, every week or so we were assessing is this the data points that are coming? Is this a valid scenario? And I think that allowed us also in 2020, where a lot of people, at least up until after the summer, did not deploy that much. We were able, guided by facts mm. and scenarios and analysis, working together, our conclusion was that we can deploy. And we had a record year in 2020 uh, across the board deploying in, in our different uh, product areas based on on, on on this intelligent and views of working together. Yeah, it did look like the private equity industry is a little bit slow at deploying during during 2020. But um, it was, a, I mean, it's a very difficult time because the economic situation has never looked more uncertain. I, I personally, I think it still looks incredibly uncertain. And most private equity firms don't have a chief economist. They don't tend to even worry about the macro view, in my experience, so much. They take a view on, on people. But in a, in a situation of radical uncertainty, perhaps they might need to take more of a view. I mean, I'd be, it's, I'm sure it's all trade secrets, but I'd be fascinated to know, you know in general terms, what, what, your, what your outlook is with regards to the economic prospects of Europe. No, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there are all sorts of elements that go into kind of the analysis and what you do. And I do think some of some of the larger houses definitely apply and have asset allocators based on more the macro, uh, you know, the research macro uh, judgment helping in in selecting, you know, the underlying businesses. And you know, we are with that. You know, low growth uh, for sure in general is something that we think will be here. Um, we had the health crisis. Currently, the aftermaths of that is energy issues, supply chain issues, and still too much liquidity into the system. So whilst, you know, over the next little while, it seems like it's catch up, uh, still catch up effects in a positive sense. Um, you know, uh, that are trending. There are certainly uh, clouds 
that there are certainly clouds out there that that could lead them to volatility. So I think volatility in general is here to say. That's why we thematically trying to focus on thematic sectors which have then, you know, growth. So mega, mega trends that, that provide tailwinds. And that's also linked in. So initially, when we said we're focusing on healthcare and technology, it was more around the fact that we like that pattern recognition. We like the defensibility of it in preparation for a correction. But as we evolve and we con- constantly need to reassess what we do, um, we've come to think because of the volatility and because in general, lower growth in Europe, if we focus on an aging population, if we focus on digitalizations, those are longer lasting trends that are structural mm. and will continue to see growth, even if a lot of other areas will temporarily go down in, in, uh, in a volatility or on a downwards adjusted scenario. In terms of your, your own uh, section within Haven, uh, what does the future hold in terms of um, growth? And do you have a growth strategy? Is it to just gradually increase your uh, number of relationships? Uh, or are you? would you consider um, introducing, I'm not sure the exact term for it, but, but new sources of funds uh, or even grow by acquisition of competitors? So uh, I think we're all growth-minded. So in order to uh, continue to evolve, there need to be some growths. And with that, we're having uh, a number of conversations with other similar uh, parties, um, such as, uh, you know, for, similar to, to BCI. So we will grow somewhat by adding um, a more diversified uh, investor base. We still don't, and that's very similar uh, across Hafen, uh, we do believe in, in being disciplined. You need to grow. That's a positive for any organization, also for, for uh, you know, the younger generation coming through. You need to show growth, but not for the sake of it. So disciplined growth. We still believe in ensuring the, uh, the right balance in, uh, in, in how much you want to deploy. And that's, the, that's, the lead, that's what's leading us to the amount of, 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 of capital we'll take on. The strategy is scalable, particularly on a GP-led or, or some of the co-invest. We could have, instead of doing the 20 to 50 million, we could easily have invested 100 million in several of those situations. And the same go with the funds, but not necessarily 500 million. So as the market evolves, we will evolve with it, but we will stay on the discipline side because the discipline is also um, the guiding light that will allow us to outperform. Great. Well, the very best of luck with, with it, Maria. It's been really nice hearing about, you know, your startup story, I guess. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Fund Shack podcast. Make sure you subscribe and visit our website at fund-shack.com for many more video interviews. It's the private capital channel for alternative investment professionals. Thanks for listening.